Hello, I'm Arielle Kroon. And I'm Christina De La Rocha. Welcome to Season 3 of Solarpunk Presence. The podcast introducing you to the people working today to create a future we'd like to live in. Because if Solarpunk as a genre of fiction dreams about the just and sustainable world we'd like to live in in the future, Solarpunk as a movement rolls up its sleeves and gets down to the business of bringing it about in the present. Before we continue, I'd like to break in to say, We're a two-person operation, and we need your support to keep making Solarpunk content. If you like what we do, please consider supporting the podcast over at our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash solarpunkpresence. There are a few different tiers for subscribers who get early access to episodes as well as bonus content written by myself and Christina. Consider rating and reviewing us as well and sharing this episode with your friends and people who might be interested in the podcast. Thank you for supporting the Solarpunk community. Now... On to the episode. Hello, and welcome to season three. Yay! Yay! As appears to be our usual habit, we, well, that is me, Ariel, and me, Christina, decided to start the season by discussing solar punk. Because if there's anything that solar punks love more than imagining futures that are both awesome and attainable, and working to bring them about, it's thinking, talking, and writing manifestos about solar punk. What is solar punk? What are its goals? How does it work? What kinds of activities, lifestyles, housing, urban design, political philosophies, and so forth does it include? And to our minds, a bit excessively, what sort of things aren't solar punk and are even off the table for solar punk discussion and debate? In all honesty, this drives me, personally, a little bit crazy. I hate talking about thinking about how to think about things. And this sort of postmodern disease we all seem to be suffering from, where we can't successfully talk to each other because the meanings of facts and words shift like sand from moment to moment and mind to mind. I also hate the gatekeeping. As long as people are imagining and working toward a future that would be easy on the earth, not totalitarian, and great for as many of all people as possible, I don't care whether or not they identify as a solar punk or pass muster as someone who's allowed to call themselves a solar punk. Maybe this makes me the devil's advocate. I don't know. But today, Ariel is going to have to convince me that talking about solar punk, how it defines itself, what its strengths are, and how it evolves is is useful and accomplishes something worthwhile. So Ariel, maybe you could start off by telling us how you see solar punk. How I see the genre, or to be more accurate, lifestyle of solar punk is constantly changing, shifting, it's morphing. It's not simple to pin, pin down without a struggle. And to be clear, I don't think that's a bad thing at all, but that's a conversation for another day. To use a very loose metaphor that I've definitely taken from other people, solar punk is, to me, a bag for all of these tools that we can use, individually and collectively, in the fight against all the problems of the Anthropocene. Climate change is a big one, but it's not the only one. There are tons of little localized issues that solar punks have to deal with in their daily lives whether it's litter on the street, access to clean drinking water, the anxiety and depression that comes from constantly attending to climate news, the ongoing COVID-19 crisis, masking or lack thereof, income disparity, housing affordability, trans rights, racial prejudice, these issues all intersect. 
Phoebe Wagner and Bronte Christopher Wheland write in their introduction to their book, Almanac for the Anthropocene, a compendium of solar punk futures, that, quote, solar punks treat today as the first day of the future, not just acknowledging the climate crisis and systems of oppression, but also asking in true punk fashion, what are we going to do about it? Unquote. Hang on. Can we squeeze the conversation to a halt for a moment, at least? Weirdly, or maybe perhaps naively, especially when you consider for how many decades I've quietly thought of myself as being a punk, it has never occurred to me before to think of punk or, or solar punk as strictly oppositional movements. But even if that's not what you mean to be saying, that's what I'm hearing right now, that there are movements or ways of doing things that exist strictly in opposition to the status quo. I've always thought of punk and solar punk as plowing their own furrows, and in their best incarnations being a better way to do things. Yet here solar punk sounds like something we've come up with to fight against problems, to be a force opposing bad things, or capitalism, or injustice, or whatever. And while those are key components of solar punk, defining it in opposition to bad things, or the wrong way of doing things, feels prescriptive. Can't we think of punk and solar punk as something self-contained, and in some sense, boundless? Or am I just being naive? You're not being naive at all. That's, I mean, this is part of that postmodern, post-structuralist approach to language that vexes you. So uh, punk means different things to different people. Broadly speaking, in day-to-day -day usage of the term in the Western world, it's come to mean opposed to the status quo. That's not really what I'm trying to say with this, but I'm really glad that you brought it up because often when I talk, I can say things that I think mean one thing and that come off very differently to others. Organizing a community cleanup of your neighborhood and picking litter off the street doesn't automatically translate to radical politics, but it could lay the groundwork for it. Meeting other people in a climate grief sharing circle doesn't mean that you are a de facto anti-capitalist activist, but it doesn't not mean that either. Punk to me is a spectrum, the same way solar punk is. There can be people actively working towards solar punk goals who wouldn't consider themselves to be solar punks at all. I tend to call these activities and people solar punk adjacent climate activists, people who work towards justice for immigrants, etc. In my view, in order to achieve Solarpunk's goal of achieving a more sustainable, just future for everyone, we have to think and act multiply. The injunction to think multiply is something I was taught by Dr. Rosie Bredotti, a feminist philosopher, during a 2018 summer school in Utrecht, Netherlands. The course was called Post-Human Ethics, Pain and Endurance, and that's post-humanity as in feminist post-humanity, not the Upload yourself to the internet style of post-humanity. Oh, rats. I'm looking forward to waking up in the cloud one day. The afterlife for atheists. Although, unfortunately, even if I manage to squeak in under the wire, most of my friends and loved ones, older than me, will turn out to have been born too early to have uploadable souls. Although maybe this is a void that chat GPT, you know, 146 or whatever, will be able to fill for me. <laughs> uh. Um, something Dr. Bredotti emphasized multiple times was that the world didn't get to this point in history due to a single cause, which, if we uproot and discard, will allow humans to live better lives on this planet. So her example was capitalism. Like, yes, it's a system that has run amok and is demonstrably making life worse day by day for millions of people, not to mention other than human animals and ecosystems around the world. However, Getting rid of a capitalist economic system will not fundamentally address issues such as sexism, speciesism, environmental racism, our addiction to fossil fuels, littering, mental health issues, or the multiple prejudices faced by so many. 
Like, for example, in India, caste discrimination was alive and well for thousands of years before the advent of capitalism and colonialism. Yeah, there's no one sort of silver bullet solution that will just magically cure all of the different ills of the Anthropocene. Dr. Bridari's anti-fascist ethics of affirmation are very informed by the theoretical works of Spinoza, and she lectured also on Foucauldian interpretations of Deleuze, and that's about as theory-heavy as I'm going to get in this episode. If you're interested in a more theory-heavy discussion of solar punk, let us know, and I'll see what I can do. Hmm. I was doing okay as far as anti-fascist, but you completely lost me with ethics of affirmation informed by the works of Spinoza and with Foucauldian interpretations of Deleuze, or however that was pronounced. I have no idea what any of that means. Do, do I need to know what any of that means? Not as such, no. These theorists give us great frameworks of thought that we can apply to solarpunk actions or lenses that we can examine solarpunk adjacent works through to see how they relate to other people's work, such as with second wave feminist slogan that the personal is political, or black feminists' insistence on the importance of intersectional thinking, or queer theorists raising the issue of gender diversity and how it's so crucial to the lived human experience and our ways of knowing. So in my understanding, solarpunk allows us to think laterally and not to adhere to any one ideology while we get down to the business of trying to change the world into a better place to be. So solarpunk lets us take a look at certain political or economic proposed methods, like Marxism, socialism, anarchism, all the different flavors of such, and be intentional about them. Solarpunk encourages us to think deeply about the impacts of any system on all the beings that it will affect. Women, children, the elderly, disabled and neurodivergent people, flora, fauna, communities, classes, races, etc. And it makes it possible to think about all of these things before we act on them. Okay, so you're telling me two additional things with this. That solar punk is not merely oppositionable, but more of a mixtape of the best songs other movements have come up with. But you're also telling me that solar punk doesn't have room to come up with new things? Which seems weird. Why should a movement predicated on imagining better ways be so shockingly backward-looking? Okay, I love that mixtape metaphor so much. But I don't think solar punk is limited by the past. There's definitely room to come up with new things, but they necessarily have to build on the old things. We can't just throw out the baby with the bathwater of history because we're trying to build a better world than what we've got. History is littered with the remains of utopias, most of them only extant in the thoughts of these philosophers, thinkers, and activist groups. For example, José Esteban Munoz in his book Cruising Utopia brings up the example of a 1971 manifesto that was written by a group calling itself Third World Gay Revolution, which basically demanded a new society. He says, quote, The text, titled What We Want, What We Believe, offered a detailed list of demands that included the abolition of capital punishment, the abolition of institutional religion, and the end of the bourgeois family, unquote. Which seems pretty startlingly current to me. So basically, solar punks have a lot to build from and a lot to learn from our elders because that means that we can be intentional about building a better, more just society. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Ah, okay. And we, if we, if I can throw in another metaphor, we can we can stand on the shoulders of giants. Yes, exactly, exactly. So solar punk art and writing, I think, plays such a crucial role in this intentionality, in being able to throw up an image of what a solar punk future might look like to inspire other solar punks and provoke thoughtful replies. So like 
What is represented in this art? What isn't represented? What would you, the viewer, like to see instead? Generative criticism is something that builds on others' work, not takes away from it. Solarpunk prompts us to discard that scarcity mindset, even in the realm of art, and adopt a mindset of abundance, encouraging others in their growth and exploration. No artwork, story, or piece of music is going to be able to define what Solarpunk is, because that would be impossible. No small piece can represent the multiplicity of the whole, it's just too big. There's a handy synecdoche for the way that no human individual can be everything to everyone. There is no perfect activist, and Solarpunk shouldn't strive for perfection. Oh my god, you know, I didn't know that's how that word was pronounced. I think I've always said it, cynic, <laughs> doche, or whatever. But anyways, terms. <laughs> um, apologies, but the devil's advocate in me is feeling the need to jump in again and be cranky. Is these are these are grandiose words and ideas for a movement whose art has pretty much one color palette and a pretty set idea of the flowery aesthetics of the future. I can't remember the last time I saw a bit of solar punk art and thought, wow, that's new. So for all this talk of multiplicity and patchwork quilts and mixtapes and carrier bags, I feel like sometimes solar punk throws a lot of stuff in the mix then turns the crank and grinds out stuff that all looks and feels the same. Mm. And I'm always wondering, why can't solar punk be something less mediocre and recycled? And I'm always wondering, where's the drama and the emotion and the passion? Or am I just being a jerk here? Christina, you are not a jerk. Not totally anyway. But you're also <laughs> not wrong. There's a lot of samey seeming stuff out there. And I'm of the opinion that that's fine. Maybe it's because I grew up reading 80s science fiction at the library and fan fiction on the internet, but I'm pretty used to there being an entire archive of creative material that is basically a variation on a single theme or plot point. Sorry, science fiction, but it's... <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> and a lot of it was generated by people who are either very new to the fandom or young and very taken with it, or are trying to hone their creative skills by working on something that they love or both or all or whatever. Uh, my point being, I give Sami solar punk art a bit of a pass if I know that the artist has just discovered solar punk. I'm skeptical of the solar punks who should know better, who've been in the movement for a while, who should be able to use those lenses and frameworks that I was talking about to examine the art that they're generating, to be able to put on a critical hat and to make something unique. Solar punks need to be able to take a look at what already exists and then build on it. So an ahistorical approach to solar punk thought and solar punk art yield very much the same thing, which is regenerated material that doesn't really say much at all. I don't think solar punk art necessarily has to be completely new and revolutionize the very idea of solar punk in order to stand out, but thinking laterally has to happen. So, for example, zero waste groups often quote Chef Anne-Marie Bonneau saying, quote, We don't need a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly, unquote. And that's my approach to solar punk. We don't need a handful of perfect solar punks. We need millions of people inspired to take solar punk actions in their communities, no matter how small, and doing that. The cumulative effect of individual actions is a force to be reckoned with. Zero waste, by the way, is yet another permutation of being a solar punk, I think. So back to my original metaphor of the bag of tools, you might see some similarities between this and Ursula K. Le Guin's carrier bag theory of fiction, and you would be very right. We don't need solar punk heroes or figureheads. Like, by all means, organizers, planners, go-getters, they're very important in order to get things done in timely fashion. But 
we don't need just one person to do everything. In fact, when one person tries to do everything, they're probably going to burn out and fast. And mental fatigue leads to being in easily influenced by other people and ideas without thinking through the options first, by the way, which is not good. I think this is a tricky needle to thread because people are very good at sorting themselves into groups and hierarchies because that is how we get things done and because it doesn't work to have everyone and therefore no one be responsible for everything. Yes. And from the beginning, it seems like people have made names for themselves within solar punk, whether they meant to or not. And people who've been working to push solar punk have done things like write essays or edit or organize a publication of books or and they have some social solar punk social cachet as a result of it. Because that's probably another word I say wrong. <laughs> um, oh, you're right, cachet. <laughs> um, and you know, this also gives them a, a platform that gives them a little bit of power and prestige or name recognition, if you will, intentionally or unintentionally, and for whatever that's worth. So how does solar punk grow and get things done without turning the people who are operating some of these levers into figureheads or, or solar punk celebrities? Or, or worse, into people whose thoughts or voices count more than others? Those are really good questions. In my view, we have to keep people accountable and we have to not fall into putting people on pedestals. And it might be my Calvinist upbringing coming out here, but I'm of the opinion that we need to operate from the assumption that everyone, no matter how inspiring or excellent they may seem, is deeply flawed and will at some point let their friends and communities down. Because that's part and parcel of being human. It's my private opinion that cancel culture works so well because a lot of people operate on a fallacious assumption that there can exist people who aren't at least a little bit shitty some of the time. To put it simply, and in internet terms, all faves are problematic, especially in solar punk. But to me, part of having a solar punk mindset is embracing that reality and extending a measure of grace to people when they screw up. Because they will screw up. And how we choose to react to it is a reflection on our own humanity. And I'm on a tangent, sorry. Yeah, no, but that's all very true. That is all very, very true. Uh, I've just been thinking about this a lot. So yeah, the human need for organizers. I mean, I think it's part of reality for us that some solar punks have louder voices or a bigger platform, and it should be imperative for us all to hold each other accountable and call each other in. Speaking as someone who makes mistakes constantly and still insists on being a woman with an opinion on the internet, I dearly hope that my <laughs> friends and comrades will use their solar punk tools and grace to check me before I wreck me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I hope it's not that dramatic. But, <laughs> well, um... it can be pretty catastrophic. So, In the very first issue of Solar Punk magazine, uh, Jay Springett wrote an essay about solar punk as a container for better futures. And I would modify that slightly to say that solar punk is a container for actions that always look towards better futures. That makes it a bit clunkier to say, but it's a roundabout way of bringing me to saying that my goal for this solar punk presence podcast is for it to be an opportunity for others to bring forth one or a few things out of their own container and to put those on display for us to admire and for us to be able to talk about. Um, so in that way, I'm hoping that this podcast can inspire people to think about what their own container is of solar punk actions or to see other solar punk projects and to get inspired. Oh, okay. You know, on that train of thought, I'm glad we have this habit of interviewing people who aren't necessarily big names or who don't even necessarily identify as solar punk. Even if what they're doing or the ideas that they have are very solar punk or, or you know, as you say, solar punk are solar punk adjacent. Mm -hmm. um, so that's my meager contribution to solar punk as a stew of tasty ideas. 
rather than as a movement with leaders and followers. Yes, yes. And variety is key to any meal worth sitting down to. So like, we're not going to avoid interviewing anyone either, depending on like their follower count or whatever. That's really not what we're saying. Those are solar punk platforms have a lot to say and a lot of people listening to them are watching them for a reason. But another thing that I think that this podcast can be useful for is to showcase to listeners how solar punks, their communities and actions are necessarily locational and grounded in place and sort of responsive to where they are in the world. Being a solar punk in my city in southern Ontario is different from being a solar punk in Toronto, like Lindsay Jane, and from being a solar punk in northern Ontario in a small town like Aaron, uh, from being a solar punk in the States like Thomas Cannon, from being a solar punk in Germany like you, Christina. And now I'd like to say, oh gosh, if I'm worthy of being called a solar punk, because despite everything I've said about solar punk and gatekeeping, I still suffer from feeling like I don't do enough solar punk stuff to be more than a wannabe or an imposter. But I would like to say that while our outreach is limited and we've only aired 15 interviews so far, we have managed to talk to people in not just Canada, and if you count me, Germany, but also people living in California, Colorado, Lebanon, the Marshall Islands, and Australia. And in the upcoming episodes of Season 3, we'll add some more pins to our world map to find out what people in more different places have to add to our carrier bag of solar punk ideas, or whatever metaphor it is we've settled on. Well, like I said at the top of the episodes, solar punk is super hard to pin down, so why should this metaphor be any different, right? (laughs) Solar punk is made up of very different people who think about and value very different things. There are certain fundamental values that a solar punk has, such as energy transition, racial justice, feminism, trans rights, anti-fascism, queer futurism, species justice, positive speculation, etc. Those aren't really up for debate. But as Wagner and Wieland write, quote, a solar punk belongs to no one group, unquote. Nonetheless, in my view, solar punks are united in trying to work towards a just, sustainable future for the people in their communities and around the world, tackling the multiple crises of the sixth extinction as best they can with the tools that they have at their disposal. So depending on your identity and where you're located in the world, you're going to reach for certain tools more often than others. And I want this podcast to help people expand their imagination to be able to recognize the tools that they have at hand. As long as we're on this topic of diversity of viewpoints, can we talk briefly about the essay in the Almanac for the Anthropocene that I found the most powerful and useful? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Yeah, this is the one that resonated the most with me. Because talk about diversity of viewpoints and definitely crashing through the gatekeeping. This one, entitled Your Mineral Footprint, is written by, um, and I'll probably pronounce this wrong because I'm horrible with names, Gabrielle Aliaga who is an exploration geologist, you know, one of these people who figure out where the things worth mining out of the ground are hiding. And so, you know, he's not exactly an automatic candidate for who'd be led into the solar punk club if there was such a thing. Yet what he has to say, which is informed by his perspective as one of the people we would tend to see as enabling an industry that rapes the earth and exploits vulnerable people, is vital. He nails some of Solar Punk's blind spots by pointing out the things we overlook when we imagine a bright, shiny future without thinking about the physical realities of building it. Sure, Solar Punk gives lip service to things like, we can't just all drive electric cars, we need to mostly ride on electric public transportation because there aren't enough resources and it's too hard on the environment to keep building everyone cars. But Solar Punk also seems to think that the materials that go into everyday things, like nails, smartphones, and clothing, just grow on trees, or at any rate, don't involve anything so horrific as mining. Mm. Okay, 
clothes don't grow on, I mean, <laughs> clothes might grow on cotton, but anyways, never mind. <laughs> yes, of course, Solarpunk will say, oh, but we totally believe in having a circular economy. But let's face it, how many of us are actually working on that? It's just so much easier to retreat into a garden, grow some potatoes, plant a few native plants, leave some leaves in the corner for overwintering insects, and think, ha, I'm doing my bit. <laughs> and I can say this because I am so guilty as charged. <laughs> but essays from insiders in quote-unquote evil industries can help shake us awake and make us realize we need to be doing more, in this case, definitely, to reduce, reuse, and actually successfully recycle which involves helping set up the infrastructure and networks that could evolve into facets of an actual circular economy, this whole zero waste thing. Mm -hmm. Because Solarpunk needs to do more than navel gaze, check in with its own feelings and share hugs and seeds within its own little supportive community. Those things are important and the foundation of it all. But if Solarpunk wants not just to change the world, but help revolutionize it, it needs to involve itself in things it thinks that aren't necessarily very solar punk, like how and where we obtain our mineral resources, build our infrastructure, and interact with the business world. Totally. One of the early definitions of solar punk was infrastructure as resistance. And I think we need to bring that back to top of mind, less in the sense of putting green roofs on buildings, but more in the sense of making walkable communities so we don't need as many vehicles removing the hostile architecture that targets houses people sleeping rough and discourages police state surveillance, for example. I've only begun to dip my toes into urban planning YouTube, but so far I've mostly seen some very good, mind you, uh, videos from people living and working in the cities that they talk about and who are educating themselves, but aren't actually involved in urban planning besides as citizens. Which, by the way, is super important, and the more citizens involve themselves in urban planning, the better, but hearing from people in setting planning departments and architects is so fascinating to me. It's a totally unknown world. I do get the impression that there are solar punks, maybe more than you've encountered at this point, Christina, who are thinking about where our tech and modern conveniences come from. I just don't think that they're very loud or even speaking at all at this point. And so I hope that we can shine lights on the people who do this kind of thinking and working in action and give them a chance to say their piece in a place where they feel comfortable that they'll be listened to. All right then, solar punks. More of us have to get out of the garden, get an education, and infiltrate. And I'm using that word not seriously, but also seriously. The ranks of the mining companies, engineering firms and law firms, the armed forces, the police, and city hall, and heck, why stop there? <laughs> not to destroy them, not to destroy them, but to get them to work with us, or for us even, to build a better world. Uh, are you manifestoing? <laughs> maybe we should sign off now. <laughs> Although I don't know if we got through all 50 shades of solar punk. No, well, we got through a few, I think. <laughs> well, in any case, everyone, welcome again to season three. We have some great interviews heading your way. Thanks for listening. And stay solar punk. Thank you for listening to Solar Punk Presence, a podcast hosted and produced by Ariel Kroon and Christina Della Rocha. The audio for this episode was recorded in part on the traditional territory of the neutral Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe peoples. And in Germany. The opening and closing music for this podcast is Water Cooler Gang by Monkey Warhol, available for use under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, join our Patreon 
at www.patreon.com backslash solarpunkpresence. Or share the podcast with friends, family, and people you know who might be interested in our guests and what we have to say. We'd also love it if you could write us a nice review on your podcatcher of choice, because every review bumps us higher in the algorithm's priority, so we can reach more listeners. Until the next episode, keep dreaming and keep up the good work.